The following episode contains language that some may find offensive. Why don't white people just leave the house when there's a ghost in the house? What's good, y'all? Welcome to Code Switch. I'm Gene Demby. We're asking the tough questions like that one. I have a guest host this week, Eric Deggins, who is NPR's television critic. Hey, Eric. What up, Gene? How you doing, man? I'm so glad you're here, man. We invited you this week because we are talking about horror movies and because you tipped us to this old Eddie Murphy routine from the 1980s criticizing horror movies. There's a ghost in the house. Get the f*** out. Get out. Too bad we can't stay, baby. <laughs> so maybe coincidentally, Get Out is also the name of a new movie out this week mm-hmm. that completely turns over a lot of long-held conventions about race and horror. Get Out is by Jordan Peele, who a lot of us know from the beloved Comedy Central show Key and Peele. Oh, yeah, man. The, Luther, the anger translator. Anger translator, right. Now, now, Gene, you saw Get Out, and I haven't. So what's the story here? Like, imagine, guess who's coming to dinner with a lot of blood? Uh, it starts with a guy and his girlfriend going to meet her parents. He's black, she's white, and they're going to visit them uh, at this big, beautiful house out in the countryside. Do they know I'm black? Should they? You might want to, you know. Mom and Dad, my black boyfriend will be coming up this weekend. I just don't want you to be shocked that he's... Blackman. <laughs> Eric, she she got to tell him that I was. <laughs> yeah, she really should have given him a heads up. Yeah, <laughs> just for his sake, you know what I mean. But it, whatever your worst case scenario is in your head for like meeting the parents, what happens to get out is obviously that times a million. Get out, yo. <laughs> So, given that, I don't we, know. I kind of feel like that whenever I meet my day's parents. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. I've, we've all been there, man. I could tell you some stories. Uh, so we thought this might be, we thought this might be a good moment to actually look at the history of race and horror movies and what they reflect about American culture. I actually got a chance to talk to Jordan Peele, who's the director and screenwriter of Get Out, Eric, and here's what he had to say. I think horror is one of the best ways we as a society um, face our demons and uh, face our fears. Sure, that I, that makes tons of sense. So even if you don't really like horror movies, I think this particular podcast episode is still for you because mm-hmm. we're going to be looking at all kinds of ways that race is kind of refracted and reflected through cinema and horror. And I got to tell you, Gene, mm-hmm. the one thing I want to talk about first is this old horror movie cliche where the black guy always dies oh, first. Yeah. Now, we could come up with endless examples, Mm -hmm. Alien, Jurassic Park, but right now you are hearing my personal favorite from childhood, the 1977 movie Damnation Alley. Now, it's not technically a horror movie, but it's this science fiction-y, post-apocalyptic, after-a-nuclear-holocaust kind of movie starring Paul Winfield. Martin Luther King! That's right, an amazing actor. He's known for playing all these very stately people. And of course, when he dies in a movie, He's getting eaten by cockroaches. <laughs> by roaches. This whole town is infested with killer cockroaches. Repeat, killer cockroaches. No kid. Now I remember turning to my mo- my mother, sitting in the theater, and going, "It's a black guy eaten by cockroaches." Oh, I guess black lives really don't matter. Mm. So we actually called up an expert on this topic. She's thought a lot about black people in horror. Robin Means Coleman, she's a professor at the University of Michigan. She wrote a book called Horror Noir, Blacks in American Horror Films from 1890s to the Present. Now, Jurassic Park is an example where a black person gets killed off immediately. Okay, What is scarier than a great big murderous dinosaur is going to be a big black man with a big black gun. <laughs> so... 
that means that that dinosaur has to kill the black man. So in the opening scenes of Jurassic Park, to establish that that dinosaur is kind of a badass, he's got to do away with that big black man with that big black gun. Hmm. So that's one function. That's why you kill off the black man, and it's important that it's a man, early in a horror film. It establishes the superiority, the horribleness of the monster. You with me so far? Yeah, I am. The Um, other thing that it does is that if the monster is so bad that it even kills off brothers, (laughs) then the white man who ultimately defeats the monster has to be intellectually superior, racially superior. That's sort of the hierarchy in horror films. However, we also know that black people need to serve another purpose in horror films. Often that is to save them, to be the magical Negro, to be self-sacrificing. Do you know how I knew your name was Doc? Now, Gene, do you remember The Shining? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You remember this character played by Scatman Crothers in that movie from 1980? <laughs> yes, that Doom character in one of the most seminal horror movies, not just horror movies, but movies of all time. Yeah, and, you know, it's not a spoiler to say that The Shining stars Jack Nicholson playing this guy who's slowly going crazy in this hotel that he's taking care of over the winter. He's clearly about to murder his wife and his little boy. <laughs> right. The little boy, though, his name is Danny, although they call him Doc. Um, he has this telepathic link with this black dude who who he met briefly. As you do. Yeah. <laughs> As you do. Uh, who's an older cook at the hotel who's away. The black man is away. He's wintering in Florida. But the little boy, Danny, and this scat man, Carlos character, have this psychic ability, this connection that they call The Shining. I can remember when I was a little boy. My grandmother and I could hold conversations entirely without ever opening our mouths. She called it shiny. So, okay, Danny, with his mind, (laughs) asks Scatman Crothers' character for help when his insane dad is about to murder him in this totally snowed-in hotel. At no point does Scatman Crothers just call 911, right? (laughs) But he's like, I'm going to go there myself. So he books all of these flights, and he's charging up all of these airline tickets, and then he rents a car, and then the car can't go any further, and then he gets into this, like, John Deere contraption that's like this snow prowler. And I'm like, he's old and it's cold. (laughs) And what is he doing? All to get to this family. It's the, and he knows that he's riding into danger. He knows that something is wrong. He knows what this hotel is. And he doesn't ask for help. He doesn't get back up. He doesn't wait. And then what does, what's hard about The Shining and hurts is that he does all of that. And he gets to the front door, and he's covered in snow, and he's got his boots on, and he's got his coat on, and he jumps out and chops him in that axe, and that's it. (laughs) Yeah, right. Jack Nicholson jumps out of nowhere and plunges an an axe into his his chest. Right. Like, where was Danny? Danny couldn't say duck or watch out. (laughs) You know, he could call him from Miami, but he's right there in the hotel, and Danny's not like, watch your back. It's just, it's just awful. So if you think about it, this is the exact opposite idea from what Eddie Murphy talked about uh, earlier. Mm-hmm. And Richard Pryor also talked about this, too. He's got this great routine about the exorcist and how black folks would actually react if they were actually in, in, in horror movies, which, you know, I'm, I'm sure, Gene, you're too young. to Just, just a little too young, yeah. See, there wouldn't have been no movie if there had been niggas in it. 
The movie would have been about seven minutes long. As soon as the devil spoke. Hello. Goodbye. <laughs> so, like, that's the difference between how black folks might actually react and how we saw a black character react when he was in a movie that was crafted by a white writer and a white director. And that sort of gets at the heart of all the stuff that we're talking about. And after the break, we're going to use a racial lens to look at the history of horror movies in the United States. We're going to talk more with Robin Coleman, Jordan Peele, and Ernest Dickerson. He's a leading African-American director who came up with Spike Lee, and he's one of the preeminent directors of horror in the U.S. Stay with us. Support for Code Switch and the following message come from Squarespace. Get your unique domain and create a beautiful website using Squarespace's award-winning templates and all-in-one platform. There's nothing to install, patch, or upgrade ever. Start your free trial and use offer code CODESWITCH for 10% off your first purchase. Squarespace. Make your next move. Make your next website. Thanks for listening to Code Switch. There are more than 100,000 albums released in any given year. 100,000? That's almost 2,000 albums every week. And we know it's impossible to keep up with that much music. So, NPR's All Songs Considered is here to help. Each week, hosts Bob Boylan and Robin Hilton find the best of the best songs for you to fall in love with. Subscribe to All Songs Considered now at npr.org slash podcasts. So, Eric, we are talking about horror movies and race this week, which is why I called up Ernest Dickerson to talk about horror. Yeah, that guy has directed so many episodes of The Walking Dead, mm-hmm. Tales from the Crypt, Bones, as well as the movie Juice. So what do you have to say? Yeah, for him, he said that, you know, horror movies are totally just this part of his DNA as a filmmaker. Well, I don't know. I mean, you know, growing up, you know, we always used to love horror films, you know. I mean, I grew up in the projects in Newark, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. And uh, whenever there was a new horror film that came out, we were like, well, we got to see this one. <laughs> You know, yeah, horror movies have been a part of our DNA as audiences almost mm-hmm. as long as there's been movies. And race has been central to horror movies from the very beginning. So Robin Means Coleman is the University of Michigan professor who studies race and horror. Her book, again, is called Horror Noir. Let me give you an early example. Okay. 1898, Biograph Film Company uh, does an anthropological short called Execution by Hanging. For black audiences... And I hope our allies, this is a short that's horrific. It may be considered one of our earliest horror films where we see um, a black male in Jacksonville, Florida, who's hung. There's no context for the hanging. We don't know if what the purported crime has been. All we see is the hood placed over his head, hmm. a noose tightened, um, and his death, which is long and dreadful. So when we think about what is horrific, we need to think about what are the things in our culture that disrupt, that disrupt the rational for us, what keeps us from understanding or living or being in a fear-free everyday life. And Eric, you know, Robin said from 1898 on out, you could practically trace America's racial attitudes through horror films over the decades. And so when she mentioned The Birth of a Nation from 1915, that's what you're hearing right now. You kind of called her out on that a little bit. We don't normally think of Birth of a Nation as a horror movie. So how do we... I think black folks do. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah, there, there you go. And Robin's point was, you know, Birth of a Nation, directed by D.W. Griffith, is one of the most influential movies ever, right? 
Yeah, yeah. Then President Woodrow Wilson supposedly called it history written in lightning. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's a really disturbing movie where the Ku Klux Klan are like the big heroes. Yeah, in fact, it, you know, famously led or infamously, I guess, led to the resurgence of the Klan. One of the main plot points of Birth of a Nation, if you haven't seen it, is actually on YouTube. Is about this black rapist who's obsessed with a white woman who ends up throwing herself over a cliff to get away from him. Um, and Robin said, ultimately, it is kind of a monster movie, and it's absolutely a horror movie. Birth of a Nation is probably singularly one of the most important to blackness because it sets up a stunning hatred for black life and black culture. I got to say, just hearing that theme made the goosebumps rise up on my arm. Mm-hmm. And the birth of a nation, it laid out this template that she says you can see over and over in subsequent decades. Um, in the 1933 movie, King Kong. Yeah, that, they're saying Kong, Kong. The 30s represented an absolute obsession with jungle films, right? Um, and voodoo and the sort of primitive exotic. Mm-hmm. The 40s took us through uh, a landscape of horror films where you saw white actors as being very serious and heroic and going up against an evil, where blacks in blacks in horror films were there for comic relief. Yeah, you know, same thing in the 1950s. Remember uh, that movie Creature from the Black Lagoon? You got this mm-hmm. bug-eyed, big-lipped monster that literally, literally creeps out of the, the murky black depths. Not a lot of subtext there. Yeah, it's, not, it's a little on the nose. And of course, you know, that monster is preying on another white woman. As you do. (laughs) (laughs) But Robin says that horror really turned around in 1968 with the ultimate zombie movie, which fans are going to know, Night of the Living Dead. Right, you know, Night of the Living Dead, famous independent movie directed by George Romero. He actually cast a black dude as the lead in that movie, this guy named Dwayne Jones. And, you know, even to this day, Romero says, you know, he wasn't trying to make any statement with Dwayne Jones' casting, but... I'm not about it. Yeah, I'm not about it either. (laughs) He said that Jones was just, you know, the most talented actor, you know, of the people he knew. But, you know, Night of the Living Dead is a really unnerving movie. And Robin said that's because, in large part, because of the racial dynamics uh, of his casting. What makes Night of the Living Dead so very powerful is, you know, spoiler alert, this is a black man who ends up in a cabin with a bunch of white folks and zombies outside trying to eat him, and he is able to navigate the racial politics in that cabin, being, in some cases, disrespected, his authority being challenged. Where's you coming? Come on! He has to negotiate being the only black man in this space, and there are some white women around, and he's got to survive all of that, and he does. Well, he does to a point. Right, to a point. Um, it's a spoiler here for Night of the Living Dead. I don't know if it's a spoiler. It's like a 50-year-old movie. But just in case you haven't seen Night of the Living Dead. Black men do not get to walk off into the sunset. So he survives the night of the zombie apocalypse. Mm-hmm. He emerges from this farmhouse. He's on the porch. And who shoots and kills him? It's the police. Mm-hmm. Right? And it's during the closing credits that they then kill him. And it's a powerful lynching scene where they're using, you know, these sort of ice picks and they pierce his body and they throw him onto a pyre and burn him. That, that is the disruption of a fear-free everyday life. 
Now, now let's check this out. Even when the brother makes it to the end of the movie, he still cannot live. <laughs> and and we should note that the mo- when this movie came out, Night of the Living Dead in 1968, mm-hmm. I mean, the era of lynchings in the South was barely over. There was all kinds of violence perpetrated against civil rights activists, and Martin Luther King had just been shot. Right. American soldiers were dying in Vietnam, disproportionately African-American, by the way. So this movie had all kinds of resonances for audiences in this moment. All right, and we're going to fast forward, you know, to 2017 in a second. But first, we got to talk about the 70s. Oh, you see that spirit at the time in horror, too. The name is Blackula! Are you talking about, like, Blackula? Let him alone! The name is Blackula! Of course I'm talking about Blackula. Of course, it stars my homeboy from Gary, William Marshall. <laughs> For those of you who don't know, uh, Eric is from Gary as well. Shout out to Blackula! <laughs> So our professor Robert Coleman says, you know, there were a bunch of black exploitation movies like Blackula in the 70s that reflected uh, to some degree, you know, um, reflected the politics of the black power movement. You actually got to see black characters, you know, having jobs and going out and listening to jazz and chilling. We actually in some of those movies, we actually get to see black women get to be the heroines and protagonists. Anything with Pam Greer in it that is a horror film is not just about her man. This is about saving the black community from gangsters, often white gangsters, or guns or drugs that's infiltrating black communities. Yeah, so we're talking about movies like Scream, Blackula Scream, Sugar Hill. These movies are fascinating reflections of their cultural moment. And I should, I should say right now, Eric, you know, when I talked to Jordan Peele about this movie, this new horror movie, Get Out, he wasn't really that focused on any of those 1970s black power movies, at least not as like direct influences. Well, you know, he's kind of younger. What, what did he say? I patterned this movie after Rosemary's Baby and The Stepford Wives. And you can see that kind of pacing all throughout Get Out. It's a really, really slow burn. It's also that classic horror movie setup when you, as the outsider, you're the fish out of water and the only one who starts to realize very slowly that something is going on and you are very deeply in danger. Of course, you know, in Rosemary's Baby and then the Several Wives, the protagonists in those movies, you know, they're, they're white ladies. And so Jordan Peele is doing something kind of really subversive here by putting a black man into that kind of trope, but in a specific terrifying situation that uh, a lot of us black men have faced. You know, what, what many people may not understand is the, the fear that a black man has walking in a white suburb at night it is real. And I wanted to put the audience uh, in that position so they could see it and feel it. Apparently, a whole bunch of brothers been missing in this suburb. But it's cool. Bro, how are you not scared of this, man? Couldn't see no brother around here. And just like in Night of the Living Dead, man, like the police are just as much a mortal threat to the black protagonist as, you know, the evil that he's trying to outrun. Well, what I think could be important about this movie is that Peel seems to be putting white people in that situation so mm-hmm. they can understand what it's like when people of color feel isolated. Uh, and that's why it's such a shame uh, when you look at the 1980s and the 1990s in horror film mm-hmm. and you see the suburbanization of horror that meant that black people kind of went missing in those films. You don't see them a lot. Hmm. Movies like Nightmare on Elm Street and Friday the 13th. They set them in rural spaces or in the suburbs, and mm-hmm. they think that black people aren't there. That was Rob McComb again. And, you know, housing segregation and everything, even in horror movies. Of course, <laughs> of you know, course. <laughs> there's some there's some people of color in the 90s, right? Oh, Candyman, don't say it five times. <laughs> You're talking about that uh, Wes Craven movie set in the projects, right? Uh, yeah, exactly. Of course. Um, I just want to quickly touch on something you were really struck by 
when you read Robin's book, Horror Noir? So my, it's interesting because the argument is, even though we're invisible, folks of color are still not free from being implicated in white trauma. Hmm. Right? So sh- The Shining, The Shining's Hotel, the, sto- the backstory in that film is that it's built on a Native American cemetery. Pet Cemetery is a Native American cemetery. Amityville Horror. All of these films are the poltergeist as well, right? That they just failed to remove the bodies. And so we are still, even in our invisibility, disrupting sort of the stasis of whiteness. Wow. When I originally thought about poltergeist and the shining and the fact that, you know, these these uh, horrors came from disturbing these burial grounds, I always saw saw it as sort of this parable of you know, sort of white people disturbing something that shouldn't be disturbed, you know, like that's their punishment. But then when I when I read your book, I saw, you know, this idea of people of color being the source of all the problems. Mm-hmm. <laughs> sort right. of, you know, right. like everything bad sort of coming from, as you said, you know, people of color who aren't even in the movie. And And once I saw that, it flipped the script for how I could consume like all the values in that movie, it, it led me to see everything a little bit differently. Mm, see how they do you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> 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 so what's going to change this kind of thing, of course, is filmmakers of color getting a chance to tell these stories like right. Jordan Peele and Ernest Dickerson. You know, it's funny, Eric, because Ernest, what he said really resonated with a lot with what Robin observed about horror as valuable stories of disruption, right? Like almost an unconscious meditation on a fear-free existence. Sometimes the stories don't make complete sense because it seems like they, they kind of tap into an almost dream logic. And that's one of the great things about cinema. When cinema can tap into your dreams and replicate what your dreams are like, especially your nightmares, mm-hmm. that's, that's when you get the best cinema. And there's a truth that you can tell in horror that you don't see in any other genre. Yeah, like one of the things I really, really dug about Get Out um, was that a lot of the things that happen in this movie, although uh, they're obviously very bloody in the movie, are things like there are actual encounters that I think a lot of people will recognize having, right? There's a scene at this party, this outdoor party, um, in which all of the friends of the white girlfriend's parents, uh, their older friends are sort of hovering around Chris, the black dude. And they're making all these comments to him, little sides about, you know, like what how athletic he is and asking about his sports pass if he likes Tiger Woods. You know, filling up his biceps. So this is saying some sideways stuff to him, you know, like some janky stuff. Hey, how you doing? <laughs> so, how handsome is he? I'm, are you handsome? <laughs> Not bad. So, is it true? Is it better? Wow, wow. Shall I use the word, the M word, microaggressions? Uh, trying not to do it, here? trying to get through it without saying microaggressions. But yeah, like it's hard to make a hard movie about microaggressions, right? But this <laughs> movie does a really good at pinpointing those moments when you're like, this janky thing, I think this janky thing is happening and I can't really put my finger on it. And if I said it to you, you would look at me like I was crazy. But I feel like somebody just said something that was not okay to me. Yeah. Well, you know, having been the black guy who's gone to meet the white family, I can tell you that experience brings horror movie levels of dread. So I I totally can relate to that. And, you know, we're living in scary times, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, It feels like horror 
has a function in that way that few other genres can do, and it's just completely appropriate for the times, right? Yeah, and I'm sort of curious, you know, given what Robin was saying about uh, the way that horror reflects our anxieties of a moment. Like, I'm curious what will come out of out of this current moment um, in terms of horror. Like, what what will we be speaking to, like, 40 years from now when people are saying, ah, they were worried about, you know, this. <laughs> um, it's always fascinating the way that people use storytelling as a tool to survive and get through. So, you still alive? Gene? Gene? <laughs> we are still here. Both of us. <sighs> Two black men somehow managed to get to the end of a podcast. When it's not done yet. That's Don't true. count your chickens we now. Just, we just jinxed it. <laughs> we just jinxed it. Now the axe is going to come through. Walter Ray Watson produced this episode. Mm-hmm. Our original music is by Ramteen Arablui. A shout out to the rest of the Code Switch team. Adrian Florido, Karen Grisby-Bates, Kat Chow, George Encinas, Leah Danella. And Shereen Marisol Maraji, my normal co-host, who is away reporting in Holyoke, Massachusetts this week. Our editor is Netta Ulibi. Our senior supervising producer is Jaleka Lantigua-Williams. Y'all, we are back next week. Do not forget to subscribe to our podcast wherever fine podcasts can be found. I'm Eric Deggins. And I'm Gene Demby. Be easy. Peace. Let's get out of here.